Let's turn in our Bibles to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read, as I always do, verse 1 down to verse 17. And hopefully we're going to finish this, 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 uh, not system, that's not what I want, section. Thank you, Julia. A little mind fart there today. Okay. Let me read it to you. You can follow along in your own Bibles. Again, I'm reading from the, uh, the Spurgeon Bible, the Christian Standard Bible. So if it sounds a little bit weird, that's why. Okay. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch, when he was taken away, and so he did not experience death, he was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking towards the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. All these died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. 
As always, beloved, I like to remind you, because I don't believe that you remember what I say. The reason why this book was written, the reason why this sermon, if indeed it is a sermon, was preached, was to encourage failing believers, people who were being overcome by the stresses and strains of their culture, to conform back to the old ways, to accept the religious uh, ritual ceremonies, traditions of their own people. Christ had called his people out of that ceremonial living. They were no longer bound to the temple. They were no longer bound to the sacrifices. Remember, if you were a Jew, you would have to go up to the, to the temple three times a year, officially at least, it was required of you. You were to give sacrifice for your sin, for the sin of your families. You were to offer up all these different things. Yet the Christian Jews no longer had to offer up sacrifices for sins. They no longer had to take the the, the goat, the lamb. A goat is called a kid, isn't it? A kid or a lamb or a dove or... Offer up a bullock. If you were a family group, you would offer up a bullock, a a, a heifer, some sort of livestock. And that would be slain and and the the blood would be taken and the meat would be offered and the sack of fat would be put upon the altar and burnt up. And they would hold this ceremony and they would be marked with the blood and stuff as a representative, as an offering for their sin. But the Christians, they no longer had to do this because they understood that that the blood of bulls and of sheep cannot take away the sin of a person. It's a life for a life. And that Jesus Christ had become their sacrifice. So instead of going through these empty, dead rituals and religious rites, they pointed to Jesus Christ and said, all of my sin has been dealt with in Jesus. And for the Jewish, the non-believing Jews or the the, the the normal Jews, the non-Christian Jews, that was offensive. And so Jesus, as he said, came not to bring peace, but a sword among the people. And it divided whole households, whole family groups. Imagine if we all the men went on a family or men weekend up to the, uh, in a synagogue. We all went up to the temple. All the men in the, te- the synagogue, they'd all go up together. But imagine if some of us are saying in the, in the same synagogue, no, 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 Jesus, is, we don't need to go up anymore. So schism develops there immediately. You're saying that, that your sin is forgiven, my sin isn't. God has accepted you, but he hasn't accepted me. What is this? And it caused tremendous difficulty. And so this letter, sermon, record is written at that time when Saul, who, was, who became Paul, is moving around and causing dis- disruption among the churches, hunting down Christians. Somewhere around that point where the temple is still existing, Christians are being hunted, there's persecution against those Jews who have converted, a lot of stress and strain. And as a result, people are beginning to waver. People are beginning to just go along with it. And as a result, the writer here, the writer of this book, whoever it was, is encouraging, is speaking to the believers and saying, no, stand fast. 
It's by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, in his work alone, not by any other means. And he goes through, doesn't he? He goes through all the different systems. Talks about the angels, talks about Moses and Aaron. He talks about the law, talks about the covenant. And all those things, he shows how Christ, Jesus, is superior to all of those things. And that it is in faith in his work, not faith in the substance just of feeling positive. We live in a culture, sadly, that has defiled the word faith. We, we think of it as positive mental attitude. Having a positive mental... Have faith, brother! Meaning, you know, be strong in your mental outlook on things. But really, when we talk about faith as Christians, we're talking about confidence in the work of Jesus Christ... Not in ourselves or anything that we have done or could do, but in everything that he has done and is doing and will do on our behalf. So the writer here is trying to pull the believer's eyes from themselves and focus upon Christ and giving them confidence in his work that he is greater than the temple, that he is greater than the high priest. He's greater even still than Melchizedek. He is the true high priest. He is the one, the only one, authorized to offer up sacrifices on our behalf. And the only one qualified, the only one accepted. And that then brings to the question, what is living by faith? What does that look like? In chapter 10, he finishes it by saying, the righteous one shall live by faith. And that, of course, brings us to the question, what is faith? Now, if you've lived here for any length of time and worked among Lutherans, nominal Lutherans, and they'll say, well, I have faith. I was baptized as a baby. I go to church occasionally. Um, I believe in God. But there's no reality. There's no depth to that in their experience. You know, we, can always, we always say that you can tell what a person truly believes by how they live their life. You know, you've all, I, I don't watch horror films, but in my youth, you know, you would see this person in a horror film, they say, don't go through that door. You know, there, there's, there's a monster there and then the stupid person would open the door and they'd go out and say, well, he obviously didn't believe because he went through the door and then he gets murdered. But you see a person who does believe says, well, I'm not going through there. I've seen this in a film. I'm just going to go somewhere else. We can see if, if Don comes into the room and there's a broken chair and he's about to sit in the chair and I say, Don, don't sit on the chair. It's broken. And I can see whether he believes me or not by the fact if he sits in the chair or not. If Don just goes, nah, full of rubbish, and sits and falls, then we can see whether he believes or not. When a person believes in Christ, there is evidence of that faith in their life. It is not works onto salvation, but salvation produces, produces works in a person's life. It changes how we think. It changes how we feel. It changes how we react and act in this world. Our conduct becomes different as Christians. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. Talking about false teachers. But the same is true about believers. We can see a believer by the standard of their life. The, the faith. It says in the book of Daniel that those, the people who know their God are strong. And do great things. Now you don't necessarily have to do great things. And massive pulling down of empires. And killing of dragons. And the slaying of giants. But the overcoming of sin. The standing for what is right. 
we see that a life lived by faith has a certain look to it, a certain ring to it. It has a certain taste to it. It is different than the, any other life that is lived in this world. And so in, in chapter 11 in this book, the preacher, writer, recorder, really the Holy Spirit through that person is giving us an overall picture, an absolute demonstration of what a life lived in faith looks like. And he's also reinforcing the, 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 the lesson that it has been this way from the beginning. Since after the garden, it has been this way by faith. The Old Testament looking forward, believing that God would accomplish and provide a sacrifice, that God would reconcile mankind to Him. We look back and we recognize that God has done these things. We believe in Jesus. They were looking forward saying, we know that God will provide a sacrifice, a substitute. God will make a way where there is no way. And then faith, they were looking back. Now you and I are spoilt. You know? We have the scriptures. We have historical evidence and all the rest and stuff. We have each other. These poor people were very alone. I mean, all they had was a single promise, a single revelation given by God. And yet their lives demonstrated the reality that despite their weaknesses, despite their humanity. We looked last week at Sarah and the power of God to make change in a life that is powerless. That faith brings into being things that cannot. You know, that it goes beyond the natural and enters into a supernatural. And that God is faithful to accomplish his plans, his purposes, and to fulfill his promises to look after us, even when we see no light at the end of the tunnel. We've, you know, if you haven't been, you will be at some stage in your life in a situation when there, it seems hopeless. There seems to be no hope. There seems to be no deliverance. No opportunity for relief. And yet into that turmoil, into that distress, into that darkness, despondency, into that hopeless situation, he who is hope steps in and brings deliverance. For he is a deliverer, not just of our sins, but in our situations. And we see that in Sarah's life and how that speaks to us today. How it is through faith in Christ. Yep, and we also saw how that, 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 the fulfillment of that promise in her life gave birth to life for so many others. For her, it was the answer of one prayer. It was one prayer to be answered. That was that of a child. But yet through that child, as it says here in the text, as numerous as the stars, uncountable. I know that computers can count them, but I couldn't, you know. I don't have the patience or the time. Or the, as numerable as the sands, the seashore. Dawn comes from Durban. 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 They used to have barbecues at Christmas time on the beach. They have some of the most spectacular beaches in the world, in South Africa. Would you like the job of counting those grains of sand, Don, on those beaches in Durban? Impossible. Couldn't do it. 
I mean, even if you were to go to one of the smaller beaches here in this area, or to go to Kalioke and the count those ridiculous. But yet, it was through the pr- prayer, the answer of prayer to one woman, through one woman's faith, never despise your small faith. And we saw that and looked at that woman, Sarah, and all of her difficulties. I mean, she laughed when she heard God's, the, the angel of the Lord promising, this time next year she'll be pregnant. She, she guffawed in her life. It, she scorned. She, she said, it'll never happen. And that kind of thing. And then the angel said, why is she laughing? Why is she, why is she laughing in her heart? And she said, I never, never. We saw that her faith was an up and down. It was a, a roller coaster. She didn't have the strongest of faith. But Jesus said, you only need faith the size of a mustard seed. You don't need great faith. You just need faith. It's not the size of it that counts. It's the fact that it exists, the presence of faith, regardless of its size. And so through this woman and her tiny faith, a nation was born. And the Christ comes into being through that nation. And by Christ, salvation to all the earth throughout all time. Never despise your faith. Never think that you're, you're so unimportant that God will not notice you. You play a part in his plan. And then today, we're going to jump in straight away. Straight away. In verse 13. All these died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed them that they were foreigners and temporary residents upon the land. Sometimes in the way of faith, it's a a long journey. And it is trying. Things don't happen immediately. We live in in an instant where... In a time where someone on the other side of the world can phone you and you can face call them or whatever that's called. Video call them. I'm old. Forgive me. Immediately. The guys in the States in the Harkley office, when they wake up first thing in the morning, they will check in with me. It's their morning, my afternoon. You know, or as they're going to bed, they'll text me and I'll actually be in bed. Like Phil, when he he sent me those messages apologizing, I was asleep. We live in a a time where we can instantaneously have cause and effect, where we we can respond and interact with people on the other side of the world. We're used to to the now. But that really is unrealistic. Talk to a farmer. I like farmers. They're down to earth and real people. That's why we say in Swedish, bondfornuft. You know that, that, that common sense, as we would say in English? But they have the bondfornuft. My father-in-law is one of those men. Down to earth, real. Just, you know, there's no fluff about him. He's just a down to earth, real kind of guy. You talk to a farmer, he'll tell you, it takes time to grow a crop. You can't just put the seed in and then three weeks later go in. You can't just have a baby animal and then all of a sudden you have a full grown. Unless it's pigs, of course. I do understand that pigs grow really quickly. But still, you must. there must be a, a, a process there, a time going through. And I think in our day we have kind of lost the realistic understanding of time and of, of maturing through time. 
And it takes time. Always remember, and you know, you've heard me say it many times, and I know I repeat myself, and I apologize, but I'm not sorry. Um, Conrad and Bayway, when we first started this church, 100 years ago, or however long it was, and the very first thing he said to us was, or to me was, it takes decades to plant the church. It takes decades for a church to go to maturity. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you can go to a place and then a year, two years, or three years, you have a fully grown church. God does not work as we work. He grows with generations. He moves in generations. Slow down your expectations. Greatest advice I've ever received in my life. Because I, I by nature, I'm a kind of... An Irishman who likes to move. I know you wouldn't think it, but you know what I mean? I am. I can get things done. But we have to slow down. And here it says about all of the people that we have just read about through Enoch, Moses, Cain and Abel. And all those who are Abel, not Cain really. Abraham and Sarah. All those people died without actually receiving the promise. They held to it all of their life, but they did not receive it. Now, you and I as Christians can relate to that. Because you and I as Christians, we are believing in eternal life. We are not only life after you die, but when Christ returns. When Jesus comes back, he will take us and we will be his people. We will be glorified in him or like him. When we see him, we shall be like him, the Bible says. Now, we know that it's been 2,000 years, more or less. All those people who have believed in him and have gone on and died and not received the fullness of, their pro- of the promise. We understand what it, what it is like to live in this life and not receive the fullness of the promise. But yet, a life that is lived in faith continues. Doesn't give up nor give in. It doesn't just simply say, well, you know, and carry on. It is marked by difference. It says here, but they saw them from a distance. They greeted them. They confessed them as, uh, confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents upon the earth. We who are Christians and who are full of faith, we don't give up. We realize and recognize that our life is not a life that is lived for the things of this world. We're not caught up in the materialism. The focus of our being isn't the here and now. But it is eternity. And we are waiting in expectation. Remember the image of the child. Waiting upon Christmas morning. Waiting for the, the ability to open up those presents. Waiting for the fullness of that which is promised to be delivered. That is who we are as Christians. And we're not ashamed to be recognized as different than everybody else, as not belonging. We who are foreigners and have lived in this land a little bit longer, um, we recognize what it is to be a foreigner, to be different, to be not of these people. But as Christians, we're not only just different from the national, we're different from the cultural, we're different from the spiritual. There is something different about us than for everybody else. And we almost relish that. Not that we make a big thing out of it. But we recognize that it is the signature of faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That our lives are marked as different. And that our 
focus isn't just upon hamstring all of our wealth or gain great position for us. We're not just living for this day. Um, I, I had dealings with a man a few years ago who, we know, Don knows the man, who left his wife and the kids and he's doing well business-wise and got together with a young woman half his age and is living for, and he claims to be a believer, but yet is living for his life today. And I, ha- I remember having the conversation, sitting in his apartment with him and his, his young lady and saying, but as Christians, we don't live for today. We live for tomorrow, knowing that one day we will stand before God in judgment and have to give an account of our lives. All human beings, we who are Christians, of course, who, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and live out his teachings in our lives, will we'll receive rewards. But those who haven't, those whom Christ says, Lord, depart from me, for I never knew you. They shall depart into darkness, into hellfire, prepared for the devil and his angels. We who are Christians are not living for this moment and for what we can. Our ambitions aren't here in this earth. Our ambitions are set heavenly word. We, we desire Christ and to the knowledge of him and the safety that comes through him and by him. We are hungry for a greater thing than this world. And it's not something that lives a day or a week or a month or a year even or a decade. It continues with us throughout our journey here on earth. So that we might die and pass from this life into the next. And never actually really receive the fullness of the promise of the return of Christ in in this life. But we know that the fullness of the the promise shall, shall be fulfilled in the coming of Christ. It perseveres. It continues. It doesn't give up. If you are a person of faith. Your faith is to be powerful. In that, not that you are a powerful person, but you believe in a powerful person. One who can conduct himself powerfully in this world. Remember, our, our God likes to do things invertedly. He doesn't, he's not a boaster. He's not one who draws attention to himself. Think of Jesus hiding Doing his miracles in secret and in private. Not wanting to draw attention to himself. When God acts in our lives, he doesn't do it in a flashy way. He doesn't do it in a way that, like at a concert or some sort of mega event. Discreetly, quietly. In order that you might be blessed and that that he and he alone might receive the honor. Now it says here that those who see these said these things, um, now it is clear that those who say these things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And that they were thinking about it from where they, if, if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they have desired a better place. Those who live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a person who is marked by faith, There's not a going back. They're done with where they have come from. 
And now they're moving forward. Not talking about physical places. Not talking about Joe's going to move back to Vero or, or to Vasa. Or Don's going to go to South Africa. I'm going to go back to Ireland, wherever. He's going to go to Yotobori or wherever you're from. It's not physical, but it's your spiritual place. The life that you have come from. You're never going back there. That's no longer where you belong. God has delivered you and has called you from it. He's calling you to a better place. A heavenly one. And there's never going a bank. And, and there's always the risk. I mean, here in this book, in chapter 10, it, it warns us, doesn't it? The writer here warns us at least three times of the danger of falling away, of making a false profession of faith or a, an incomplete one. One that's in the head but not in the heart. One that's never bowed the knee. One that comes from the tongue but doesn't come from the spirit. We who are the people of faith, we are pilgrims in this world. We are those who have forsook our old lives and all the things that come with it. And now we're making pilgrimage to the heavenly Jerusalem. To Christ we are moving through this land, not of it, certainly in it, but not of it. Now, I'm not saying that we as Christians should then not participate in all things. You know, we have jobs. We, we, we live in family groups of people who are not believers. We, we, our employers, our, our family members, our neighbors, the culture and the community in which we live... We're not saying withdraw from those things because we have to be there in the world. We are the representatives. We all are missionaries. Remember the old Irish saying, a missionary is not someone who crosses the sea, but someone who sees the cross. We are all sent out as missionaries, people with a cause, people with a message, people with a purpose. To proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. To shine out that light. To demonstrate the reality of sins forgiven. One who lives by faith does not go back. They have burnt their bridges. They stand together with Christ. They are moving on in this world. And then the Bible says here. Therefore, and we all know that when you see the word therefore, you need to look why it's therefore. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Isn't that wonderful? Despite all of their difficulties, despite all of their failings, despite all of their, the negativities associated with them, if you do a biography on the life of Sarah, you'll see that mm, there were some things there. You're like, hmm, how what? You look at Abraham's life, you kind of think, oh my goodness, there were some things there. There were inconsistencies as there are in all of us. Sin as in all of us. But yet because of their faith in him, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Beloved, as we are living the life of faith, as we are continuing on, connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, God is not ashamed to be called your God. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it means a great deal to me. I have walked this way for 30-something years now. 
And I am more indebted to God now than I have, was when I came to faith at 16. I know how much more my sin is. I have sinned against him more in my older years than I did as a 16-year-old boy who was wild and crazy. I am so indebted to him. He knew my sin back there. He knows my sin now, and yet he has dealt with it and redeemed me. He is not ashamed of me. He is not ashamed to be called my God. There are some people in this world that you kind of wish that they wouldn't, you know, wreck you. You're walking down the street and somebody goes, Hello! And you're like, walk away, say nothing. You're a little bit embarrassed to say, well, I know that person. I'm, I'm, I'm friends with them. The person's been in my house. Hang out with them. And the temptation, of course, is that, you know, maybe someone is a little bit weird or strange or theatrical or whatever, whatever, whatever. And the temptation is to kind of be embarrassed, especially if you're with people that you want to impress. Kind of, oh, human nature is like, put your head down and say nothing. Walk past them. If you're in Prisma and you don't want to... They, they, they talk awfully loud. Apparently I talk very loud. I don't notice that. Uh, people say that you can hear me from one side of Prisma to the other. I think that's a lie. <laughs> I heard that you were in Prisma. Really? Why? I just heard you. But God is not ashamed, not embarrassed, not in any way, shape or form put off from being called their God, from being called our God. It is not the rituals, not the, not the, 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 the basic religious cycle of life. It's not you just being trying to be a good person, but by your faith in Christ, as you continue in this way, as you're clinging, as you're abiding, as you're going on with God, He is not ashamed of you, despite your failings, despite your falling down, despite the smallness of your faith, despite the, the bigness of your problems. He is not ashamed to be called your God. Beloved, that should delight you. That should give you the confidence to be able to rest in Him and to know despite the circumstances of life that you're in. Whether you see the fulfillment of the promise or not. Whether you have the things you want or need now. Or you don't have them. Rest in the fact that He is not ashamed of you. Not ashamed that you associate with Him. Indeed that He is there for you. It says here in the second part of that verse, for he has prepared a city for them. As it was true for those before Christ, it is even more so for us that he has prepared a place for us. Didn't Christ say that to his disciples? I go to prepare a place for you. Didn't he say in my father's house there were many rooms, many places of safety? Beloved, let us continue in this way of faith. Let us not give up nor give in. Let us not give in to the false news, the propaganda, the cultural pressures that seek to disable us, seek to paralyze us, seek to rob us of our focus and to distract us. In our country, we're very blessed. In this country, 
We're very blessed. We don't endure persecution. I know right now of some heart cry missionaries in the world who are going through some terrible mission. Their children are starving. It's not a joke. Not the high, not hyperbole. Their, their children are starving. The government are, have killed two or three people from their churches. I can't share the information. But it's terrible. We don't face that here. But we do face intimidation by another sense. The, to conform, not to be weird or strange or, or, or crazy. And I'm not saying like fall down and roll over. and Those things are seemingly accepted here. But to call for holiness... A standard of, of righteousness. Remember the story I told you before of the, um, the employer that I had when we went out for a Christmas dinner and the, the, the big tree factory, I can't remember what they're called, the, they brought all the Russian prostitutes across the border and uh, all the men of the factory kind of, everything was paid for. And the owner of the factory, and I said, he said, Kai, why don't you go and dance? And I said, because I'm a Christian, I love my wife, uh, that would be wrong. And he was like, oh. And I said, I've never committed adultery, I would never do that. And he said, I've never committed adultery, blah, 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 blah. And he got very angry with me, because he was a leader in the church. And in his estimation, if he, he had defined it, if, if there was no emotions, if he didn't love that woman, it wasn't, it wasn't adultery. And I said, but that's not the biblical, Jesus said, I don't want to hear what Jesus said. And he's a religious leader in his land. There must be a difference. There must be a reality. Let's continue. Let's not give in to the pressures to conform and to change, to close our mouths, to not speak, to not live, but rather let's be bold in our faith and unashamed. You know, I have said, I seem to be repeating myself a lot, or conscious that I repeat myself. It was always my ambition, always my aspiration to form a church that was unashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So who would be ashamed of the gospel? But yet as Christians we can be. We can be embarrassed. We can be closed mouthed. We can neglect it and not speak it. Or we can subtly change it. Water it down. Make it palatable. 